Live from D1 Abilene, it's Docs and Jocks, brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you live from inside Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. Gosh, if you're just catching our show for the first time, I want to say thank you for being part of our show here. We are a sports entertainment show. We do it from a sports medicine niche. I've been a team physician for professional college and uh High school, really every level of uh, athletics possible for the last 20-plus years. Love what I do in my day job, and that's really what I'm doing here on Docs and Jocks is talking about what goes on when people have knee, hip, back, shoulder issues. We try, try and talk about maybe your favorite player or your favorite team that's had an injury to their best player and uh, kind of talk to you about what that might entail. What is that injury? What is the surgery they had to try and resolve it? And we talk to some of the leading experts around the country. We also talk about to some uh, – Talking to some great athletes themselves. Today we're having on, uh, along with my, by the way, I haven't introduced my co-host yet. My co-host is Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris is a long-time, 20-plus year sports broadcaster. Been doing the show with me for almost a decade, it seems like. Ferris is what, how long it's been. i kind of been bellish sometimes. Long time, It's man. been a long time. So I want to yeah, say thanks. Good. And uh, we are excited about today's show. What, what do you think? Yeah, it should be a lot of fun, man. We got a very diverse guest list and a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, we do. We have on uh, first. We're going to start with Dan Marley. If you don't know Thunder Dan Marley, he was one of the NBA stars. He was an All-Star NBA basketball player. Played for the most notable for the Phoenix Suns. Also played for the Miami Heat. And then uh, we're going to have on uh, later on in the show the world's strongest man, uh, Ken Lane. Ken Lane was considered the world's greatest bench presser. And uh, he also held three simultaneous records for combined lifts, so bench press, squats, deadlift, the combined weight of those threes. He held it, Ferris, at three different categories of weight at the same time, so like super heavyweight, heavyweight, and whatever the one below that is. He started off real heavy, lost weight, got at the next championship, lost weight, won the next championship. The only man in the history of the planet to ever do that, Ken Lane. And the reason we're having him on is because they have a – the big right now all across the country, the big state powerlifting champions are going championships are going on. Oh, the uh, at, at all high school levels. So I thought I'd have Ken come on and talk about how do you get ready for those, how do you train for them, what does it do to your body, all those kind of things. Ken also has a doctorate in nutrition, so he's a great guy. If you have any nutritional questions, Ferris, uh, we can talk to him as well. And then we're gonna have on Dr. Barry Seiler. He is the CEO and founder of a company called Visual Edge. And what Dr. Seiler, who's really one of the pioneers in sports optometrics, which is a fancy way of saying how do you use your vision to help you be better at sports, he uh, started this company, and it's a, it's a visual edge. You can use it yourself and your, for your young athletes and train your eyes to be better. So if you're a baseball player, you can train your eyes to see a baseball better. If you're a football player and you're a quarterback or wide receiver and you have to catch or throw a football, you can do that as well. So we'll have on Dr. Barry Seiler coming up here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine show. We'll want to miss all our great interviews on all the entire show on the other side of the short commercial break. Thanks for listening to Docs and Jocks. You're listening to Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. 
No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. Hey, by the way, if you want to be part of our show, you can do that at any time by uh, going to your iTunes app and just typing in Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and there you can listen to our show at your convenience. You can also go to DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can find out how to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. We'd love to have you be part of our show any way you can. You can also email us your questions, so we'd love to have you be part of our show that way as well. Hey, I uh, want to say thank you to our sponsors. This segment is brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings and Firehouse Subs. Just had a great Firehouse Subs lunch, and I'm telling you what, it's one of my uh, one of my favorite places. You can also get their uh, light and hearty meals, and I tell you, it's a great way to get a low calorie meal that's a great nutrition for you as well. Hey, uh, Fair Spotter Dan is not joking. That's your go-to. That is my go-to. Firehouse <laughs> Subs is absolutely your go-to during <laughs> the middle is. of the day. It is. Like, <laughs> somebody bring me a sub <laughs> it right is. now. And uh, my good friend Chad Fulkerson uh, oh, runs it. Man, he does a great job, and he's been kind enough to sponsor the radio show. So usually munching on a firehouse sub during the show if in case you hear some chewing going on but that's i try and do it quietly but that happens sometimes hey ferris i thought we could talk about one of those one of those in our show here sports medicine show and one of the things we do sadly is sometimes talk about some of our favorite athletes that either passed away or they get diagnosed with uh, terminal illnesses and, and this one is today is, is one of those and so it's not one of the, a happy way to start off the show normally we talk about some things that are going on in the news but I think it's important so you understand when you read these things in the news what the disease process is and what your athletes looking at and the guy that I'm talking about is Dwight Clark Dwight Clark was a longtime wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers best known for the you know the great catch in the back catch. of the uh, end zone the, the catch, catch yeah. the catch from Joe Montana and so uh, it was announced this week that Dwight Clark, who was a fan favorite uh, all throughout the NFL, even though I wasn't a 49ers fan, I always liked Montana and Clark. It, it was hard not to. Yeah. They are just likable guys. And uh, he was announced that he has what's called uh, ALS, sometimes referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease. The ALS stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. It's a big mouthful that means basically it is a loss of the neurons that are or the nerve cells that are able you use to smoothly do movement patterns and so you know your brain is, is, is the cells up there are called your upper motor neurons and then there's long tracks that run from there down through your spinal cord and then they eventually run out and and, and uh, coalesce or uh, work with your peripheral nervous system, which are the nerves that go and then feed your muscles and tell them to move. Well, when you start losing both some of the lower motor neurons, those peripheral nerves, and you start losing some of the brain and spinal cord neurons that allow that smooth rhythmic pattern to now be a one full, you know, easy, effective movement, you start getting things like uh, muscle twitching. We call that the big fancy medical term for that. It's called fasciculations. You start getting severe weakness where you, uh, I remember one time I diagnosed a young man in his uh, late, you know, early 40s, and he was walking through a door, and a, and a lady was coming out the department store door, and he was walking in, and they didn't see each other, and she just kind of pushed the door a little bit, and he fell over backwards, and he was like, what in the world just happened? He tried to play it off, but that yeah. was his first sign that he had a uh, weakness that was overcoming his body, and eventually was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And the reason it's called Lou Gehrig's disease is because Lou Gehrig was a New York Yankee in Ferris. You, you and I love talking old baseball. You know, we got Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, you know, some of the great guys back in the 1920s that played for the uh, Yankee glory years. 
And Lou Gehrig was a player that finished his career, had to stop his career uh, sooner than would have been otherwise because he started developing weakness to the point that he couldn't uh, go on playing for the New York Yankees. And eventually he di- was diagnosed with this ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, it was named after him after he passed away from it. And so now it's known as that. But it is a horrific disease. It's one of those diseases, Ferris, there's not always a cure for everything in medicine yet. We, we wish there was, you know, but with ALS or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease, we haven't found that effective treatment that makes it go away. Or really, we haven't even figured out how to slowly halt it. So you become weaker and weaker to the point that you can't eventually even uh, swallow. And you have to be, uh, you know, use a wheelchair to get around. We've seen this, Ferris, you probably have seen uh, the New York Saints player, Steve Gleason, who they've done, I believe, a... Uh, NFL Network's done some shows on him, maybe a 30-on-30, where he's climbing the mountain with his friends, and they're carrying him in the wheelchair and pushing him in the wheelchair up outside of a mountain. It's an amazing story if you haven't seen the Steve Gleason story. But that's where you eventually get where you can't use your extremities, you can't walk, you have a hard time swallowing, you you continue to have your mind. So it's one of those diseases that's kind of the opposite of Alzheimer's where you lose your mind, but your body basically still works. This one, your body basically gives out, but you still have your mind. It's very, very difficult, and... One of the biggest uh, factors that determines how well you do with Lou Gehrig's, if, if there is such a thing, is uh, your family support because your family truly, truly takes over your care in almost every different function of life. So, man, we wish the best, and our prayers go out to the Dwight Clark family. That's going to be a tough diagnosis. They have some tough days ahead of them, but, you know, I hope they have a strong family, and I'm sure he does because kind of the guy he is you see on the football field or saw back in the day. But, yeah, tough diagnosis, and definitely our prayers go out to the family. Don't you agree? Yeah, I mean that's one of those that's one of those ones that man, it's just uh, horrific's the best word because you don't hear about that diagnosis a ton, but when you do, it seems to happen really fast, and yeah. it seems like uh, you know you lose the individual really fast, but they're there mentally. Yeah. So it's a weird deal, um, and it's sad, and it's you know like you said, it's one of those things where. You know, you don't know why you get it necessarily, and you don't know how to stop it, you know? So it's just like, I don't even know, can they do even tests to see if you're, you know, they're doing all this data, uh, all this uh, DNA testing and things where you can send in a swab and find out, are you, you know, what's your percentage you're going to get cancer or get this or get that? Does that even, do they even know how to test for that? Not yet, not that I know of, and if I haven't, I may not, I'm not an expert in it, so I may not have heard of it yet, but I haven't found a DNA test, and I haven't found something that will predict whether how fast it's going to go. There are different variants of it. Sometimes it progresses slower than others. It always progresses, but it progresses at different rates. So, uh, you know, it's 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 uh, somewhat individualized as far as how quickly it overcomes you. Most of the cases I dealt with uh, going through my neurological rotations through um, residency and physical medicine rehabilitation, because my which is my field, we deal quite a bit with this. We have ALS clinics in uh, big metroplexes like the like the Dallas area where I train because most of the time after they get the diagnosis, and you usually get a diagnosis from a neurologist, but after you get the diagnosis, you're then working with physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapy, and and my field, physical medicine rehabilitation, works closely with those teams to kind of coordinate the care. So a big part of what we did in those clinics was what do you need? What disability do you have that we're trying to overcome? Are you losing your ability to walk? Are we going to have to deal with a, with, a, with a wheelchair? You know, deal with ways to try and move you so you don't get pressure sores in the wheelchair. You know, speech therapy will help their families figure out ways to get the right diet so they don't choke when they can't swallow very uh, effectively or easily anymore and uh, occupational therapy will help them come up with different ways of using their hands as long as they possibly can to try and maybe communicate or do the activities of daily living like brushing and grooming their teeth and those types of things so it's a huge huge team effort 
but yeah, it's it's tough to diagnose initially, and it's tough to uh, tell a family member or tell a patient that they have this diagnosis, and it's it's even harder to tell the families what they're looking at, you know, the next few years while they're doing this for the loved ones. Most of the time, the people that I dealt with, the families were incredibly supportive. They had incredible help. They were the ones doing the work, but you would do it for your family, right? I would do it for anybody in my family if that's what it was called for. Thereby, by the, by the grace of God, go I. But, you know, yeah, if you were called on and one of your family members had it, you would definitely do it. Well, and if you don't know who we're talking about, um, Google, you know, Dwight Clark, the catch. If yeah. you're under 35, really, if you're under 40, you don't remember it because it happened right. 35, 36 years ago. Right. But, yeah. you know, and it happened to the Dallas Cowboys. The yeah. Cowboys were the class of the NFC at the time. And uh, the, the Niners were the up and comers, the young guys with Joe Montana and Dwight Clark and all these, you know, up and comers up starting the West Coast offense. And everybody's like, what is that? The West Coast offense. That's a joke. And Bill Walsh, a college coach, you know. And uh, Cowboys had him. And then if you watch that catch, I don't know how he made that catch. That ball was so high. And everybody's (laughs) like, oh, it's a great throw. Maybe not. I mean, he had to get it over to Fenders, but it was up there. And Clark just caught it with the fingertips. So go Google that, watch that. And it's odd. We talk about all the time. Had he not made that catch, we might might be talking about Joe Montana as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Might not even be a thought on our mind because who knows if they get back. But that catch, they go to the Super Bowl. They win it. There are people that argue that Joe Montana was actually thrown to the wide receiver in front of Dwight Clark, which is another miscue. You don't normally have a wide receiver behind another wide receiver in the end zone, right? But if you look at it, there's a guy in front of him, and he, some people say that Joe Montana was thrown to that guy and just overthrew it, and Dwight Clark came and caught it. I don't think that's the case. but Yeah, know, there's you know. a lot of lore after those plays. You know, they, they After the play, uh, when they're being interviewed, you know, Bill Walsh says, oh, yeah, I used to have him after everybody left practice. I'd have him practice that play, you know, running across <laughs> yeah. the back. I mean, it's like, really? Did you really? I mean, yeah. it's, it's just like I remember, you know, I remember now being at the, at the World Series when the Royals won in 85. I wasn't there, but I'm like, I think I was there, wasn't I? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just like you just kind of change things but it's yeah. really sad it's cool though that you know there he's got this rich history they family can still go watch him as a young man who was yeah. was vital and could do those things athletic and then he had a great career he went on to become i think his front office with the 49ers too so he had a really good career after that so a very successful life unfortunately uh this is a tough blow yeah when you always see the reunion games from uh, people coming out on the field for the 49ers it's always joe montana and dwight clark those in and jerry yeah. rice well, i should I, I, can I include jerry rice but those are the guys that come out there and they're always uh, applauded so heavily but yeah these are fan favorite for sure speaking of uh super bowl plays like yeah this is the way we did it we practice it whatever but remember the Pete Carroll play, you know, obviously where they didn't hand it off to uh, Marshawn Lynch, beast mode. Yep. They decided to throw it, and, and it ended up the Patriots intercepted the pass on the one-yard line. But uh, did you hear that Marshawn Lynch is going to be uh, – he sounds like he's coming out of retirement and wants to play for the Oakland Raiders. So uh, beast mode. That's about right. Yeah, and you wonder, uh, has he – one, he retired. So he's been – he did, actually did a Skittles tour through Europe. I wonder awesome. how in shape Marshawn Lynch beast mode is – after doing a Skittles tour through Europe. It just doesn't sound I don't know, like man. He, he lived on Skittles during his professional <laughs> career, so he might be in tip-top form for him. I mean, yeah. you never know. He's it's another kind diet. of guy that I would say he's going to for sure be out there working his body the way it should be worked uh, when he's already retired. But it'll be interesting to see. He's a guy that kind of struggled with his weight even during the season, most seasons. They always said, what was he coming in this year, you know, in training camp? That was a big deal. Was he going to come in overweight? Was he going to come in in shape? But uh, – yeah, he's coming back, so that's because. Yeah. Uh, you know, the problem is he quit early. Yeah. And so I don't know what the exact contract situation is, but if he wants to come back and play. He... Yeah, he could definitely come back. Because and... they 
still owned some of his equipment with, with time on his contract. Yeah, he would still have time on his contract. So You're right. They might so. have to. Yeah, we'll see how he does with Marshawn Lynch coming back, making a comeback for sure. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. You're listening to your sports entertainment show here on Docs and Jocks. Go to docsandjocks.com to find out more about your show. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Great to have you with us today. Hey, you can find out more about our show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can find out how to follow us on social media, you name it. You can also listen to us on iTunes at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Love to have you be part of our show anytime, anywhere you can. So joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. And Ferris, I thought in this next segment we could jump into some of the fun stuff going on uh, since our last segment was... It was a needed story we need to talk about. It was a sports medicine story about Dwight Clark having ALS, but it's not the most cheery way to start our show. So we want to talk about no. something fun and exciting going on right now. March Madness is always fun and exciting, except uh, for your Arizona man. Wildcats. I'm sorry, man. They went down to Xavier after really just just uh, the last three minutes just really could not buy a basket. It was hard to watch. So uh, we got North Carolina Butler, UCLA Kentucky, Baylor South Carolina, Wisconsin and Florida, Kansas Oregon, Gonzaga, Xavier. Some of our listening audience who gets our show later in the weekend, well, some of these games will already be played, so sorry about the uh, time delay if you're catching it later and on in the uh, weekend, but we're going to go ahead and talk about some of those teams right now. I think it really that first bracket, we talked uh, with uh, Jesse Holly, who played for North Carolina on their national championship year 2005 last year. By the way, if you want to hear that or 2005, we talked to him last week. If you want to hear the Jesse Holly interview, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com. But uh, North Carolina, Butler, UCLA, Kentucky, I think's pretty much what Jesse thought was going to happen. We kind of thought it was going to come down to the big three. I happen to say on the show, on air, it's on air for you. If you want to go back and listen to it, that Butler is one of those teams that always seems to sneak in and uh, mess up somebody's bracket. And they're always good, but they never get any real uh, credibility, it seems like, until they knock off a North Carolina or somebody like that. Yeah. But I think if you have to go there, are you going, are you going North Carolina over Butler? Yeah, I mean, I had North Carolina going a long way in this one. Yeah. I, I mean, even to the Final Four. I think I might have had them getting beat, uh, I think, by UCLA or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, I, mean, I would think this is kind of where those teams that have that depth and that athleticism are yeah. going to overcome. But having said that, U of A is deeper and bigger and more athletic than That's Xavier. What we said. Yeah. But you just saw that they didn't know how to play against that zone down the stretch, yeah. and they really only had one guy. They counted on scoring. They didn't have a real plan. And Xavier hung around, hung around, hung around, got the win. So Scored the last nine points. Anything could happen. If I had to bet my mortgage on it, though, I'd take North Carolina. Then uh, UCLA with, uh, obviously, balls. They're one everybody's talking about against the vaunted uh, Kentucky. So you, you picking Kentucky over UCLA, or are you going uh, you to pick uh, Ball and what his uh, great point guard position is doing in the tournament? Well, I, I had U of A and UCLA playing in the national championship, part of my West Coast bias because I've seen them a lot and yeah. like how they can score. Um, if Kentucky can slow down that offense of UCLA, which not many people have been able to do, they'll they'll get the win. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. To yeah. me, it's a coin toss. I'll take UCLA just because I live on the West Coast. I mean, really, you could say this is like a game. This is almost like a championship game between the two of them. Either one of them could have yeah. been in the, in the finals. I mean, that's how good they are. So then we drop down to the next bracket. We're going to go Baylor, South Carolina. Obviously, I am uh, biased towards the Texas team, so I love Baylor, and they're sitting, sitting in a pretty good place right now. Uh, where are you going with uh, Baylor, South Carolina? Who are you picking? 
You know, I, I didn't think Baylor was going to get that I, far because Baylor's one of those teams that they're so good and they're so athletic at moments. one day. Yeah. And then the next day you go, do they know <laughs> yeah. how to play basketball? Exactly. Like, what are they doing? Yeah. So, man, if they can play like they did in the first two rounds, I think I think they win in, by double digits. I think South Carolina is very good, but I think South Carolina might be overachieving a bit here. So I think Baylor's a better team. But, man, Frank Marshall, I believe, is the head coach at South Carolina. He went there from K-State. Coach is good. He coaches yeah. defense. He's got right. those guys believing. So yep. I'd probably pick Baylor, but it wouldn't shock me if South Carolina won. I'm saying that about everybody. I'm picking somebody <laughs> going, that wouldn't surprise me. But yeah. that's the Sweet 16, Yeah, that right? is a Sweet 16. Man, they're all good teams at this point in time. You got Wisconsin, who beat beat, uh, beat out last year's championship team, Villanova, going up against Florida. So Wisconsin, the last Big Ten team left uh, in the tournament, which is a little bit surprising. But Wisconsin, Florida, who are you going with? That was surprising, huh? That they, yes. I mean, that was a big Nobody surprise Nobody saw that win. coming. Yeah. Especially after I, last man, year. Man, I, I might take Wisconsin. I mean, they're just – Take the hot the hand. The way they're playing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I think I think they're both really good. I, I, I don't know much about either team, but, uh, yeah, I'll probably take – I might take Wisconsin in that one to keep it rolling. Yeah. And then we're going to go over to the uh, – where it's already gotten down uh, those to the uh, final eight. Gonzaga, Xavier in there. After watching Xavier and the uh, Arizona game, obviously got a pretty good look at them. And uh, Gonzaga is always one of those teams. It seems like they pull it up uh, in March Madness and go pretty far. Can they get past uh, the uh, the Elite Eight? Yeah, I think they do now. I think they got a great path now with the Xavier. I mean, I mean, I think U of A is a much tougher matchup for them. They beat U of A uh, earlier in the year, but U of A didn't have Trier or uh, Parker Jackson Cartwright. So, I, and I, it's weird to say Xavier's on a roll. They're playing great, but I also think Gonzaga's got a better chance to beat them than U of A. Uh, to get into the uh, the Final Four. So I think Gonzaga gets into the Final Four for the first time in uh, program history. There I think go. they're going to make it. All right. And then we're going to go with uh, this. We'll truly find out whether or not you have a West Coast bias here. We're going to go Kansas-Oregon. Uh, Kansas is obviously picked to win that game, but would you say that Oregon has a chance? Oregon has a chance, but, man, did you see what Kansas did in the suite? I mean, they are <laughs> just putting it in another freaking <laughs> year, man. Yeah, I, I didn't see that coming from them. I I don't think Oregon has a chance. Uh, you know, Oregon, it was it Bouchard or Boucher, their yeah. guy that went down with an ACL injury in the, in the Pac-12 tournament? Yeah. With him, I, I think they would have a chance. I sounds like Bobby Boucher, the water boy. Yeah, with him, <laughs> I think they'd have a chance. It's really amazing they've gotten this far with yeah. those injuries. But, man, Kansas, honestly, after what we saw in the – what we've seen already in the Sweet 16, Kansas looks like they're going to beat everybody. They look really good. Yeah, they do look good. So, yeah, so we got some a uh, few upsets here, but you know, you get down to it. You got uh, here we are in the final, coming down the stretch, home stretch. You got North Carolina, UCLA, Kentucky, uh, Kansas. So uh, still a lot of the the uh, perennial powerhouses still in it, and I got a chance to go all the way. And no Villanova this year, so the uh, last year's champion is out pretty early, uh, comparatively. But yeah, have you enjoyed watching uh, the March Madness this year? Obviously, you're a sports broadcaster for uh, Grand Canyon University, who you broadcast for next year. By the way, we're going to be interviewing uh, the head coach for Grand Canyon University, uh, Dan Thunder Mar- Thunder Dan Marley. He's going to be coming on the show later. We're talking his getting his picks as well for the uh, uh, March Madness, but. Uh, does this time of the year and this this uh, March Madness has it uh, done? Uh, has it lived up to expectations? I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's exciting. I don't think the first round really did. There weren't a ton of upsets there, um, but you know, it's fun for me. I've kind of moved into that realm where I used to pick the I used to pick my bracket, and I thought I was so smart. And if I lost, I got really mad. And I was really frustrated. Cause I was like, oh. It, it's like a judgment on me not being good enough to pick this stuff. Now what I do, I've, I've matured. It's nice to see. I've matured to now I pick my bracket, but I always root for the underdog. Like I had U of A going to the championship, yeah. so I should be rooting for U of A, 
But I wanted Xavier to win. That's just yeah. a cooler story. Right. Especially with Bill Murray's son being an assistant coach and Bill Murray uh, in, in the crowd, you know, cheering and screaming. And I'm thinking, wow, Bill Murray won a World Series with the Cubbies. Yep. Is he is his kid going to get to the Final Four? With I mean, is, is is everything shining on Bill Murray now? But so I picked the the people I think with my head, but I still root for my heart. So I, you know, I I'd, I'd love to see Xavier win. I'd love to see Oregon beat Kansas. You I know, do. I'd love to see South Carolina beat Baylor just because they're seated below UNC lose to Butler. It'd just be fun. Yeah, I definitely. So like I've enjoyed it. The underdog teams for sure. You know why you and I like Bill Murray so much, right? Because in college, Ferris and I were a good great college friends, and uh, we actually had back in the day when you had VCRs. We had a VCR of just the Bill Murray segments of Caddyshack, and we played it, looped it over and over and over again at our friend's apartment. The best segments. <laughs> the best segments. Matters. You don't need to watch the whole Caddyshack. just got to watch the, the Bill Murray <laughs> part. So that's why we love Bill Murray so much. But, yeah, he could have a great year if the Cubs win and his uh, son wins a national championship in uh, basketball where he's the assistant coach. That would be a pretty good, pretty good year for Bill Murray. But, yeah, I think we'll have uh, Dan Marley on and get his picks for sure. You know, Dan Marley went to the – I was looking up, uh, doing some research on uh, him since he's going to come on to our show here in a bit. But he uh, went to the um, March Madness with Central Michigan. I couldn't remember if Central Michigan made it, but with Dan Marley, uh, that's probably the only years they made it. But, yeah, he made it, and he played yeah, against they made uh, it in, UCLA. Was it Wake Forest or lost, UCLA? Well, uh, 1987, they lost to UCLA one game. So, I don't know. They made, yeah. it, they, they made it twice with him, but we can find out. So, we'll have to talk yeah. about who he played against and who was in those uh, – tournaments but hey let's switch gears a little bit since we're talking about whether or not uh, march madness has lived up to expectations for you how about the world baseball classic have you enjoyed watching any of those games have you seen some of those games of puerto rico the dominican the united states comes out has their first win they only play it every so many years i don't know three or four years they play it so this has only been the fourth year uh, they played it so uh first two were japan one and then dominican and then the usa so you know you got uh usa winning it this year and had an eight nothing uh uh, World Baseball Classic victory. Has it lived up to your expectation? Do you enjoy it this year? You know, going into it, I, I wasn't really paying that much attention to it. But then as it got going, yeah. um, everybody seemed more excited about it. Maybe it just took a, a few years. But all the players for every team were just excited about playing for their country, you know. Yes. And so I loved it. It was, almost, it was great. I listened to a lot on the radio. I didn't get to see a lot of the games, but I saw a lot of clips after the games and stuff. And, you know, when you got a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, who's arguably one of the top ten players in baseball right now, he doesn't even play because Jim Leland is starting Eric Hosmer because Hosmer is just one of those guys who performs in tense situations. He's a great clubhouse guy. And out here in Arizona, they're they're trying to get, you know, they're trying to make a deal about it. Like, oh, Goldschmidt, he's got to be, you know, you got to start Goldie. They're trying to make a big controversy like they always do. They get Goldie on and they say, hey, are you upset you're not playing? He goes, no, man. He goes, this is the most fun I've had in my entire life. He goes, I love it. He goes, if I play, I play. If I don't, I don't. I love this team. Everybody who passed it is an idiot. They should have played. I want to play as many of these as I can. I love it. Oh, that's so awesome. The guys were into it, man. They I've already, were all I, into it. I already like Goldschmidt anyway. I, that's just made him go way up my list more. I like him more even. since Not being a prima donna, not throwing a fit, hissy fit, no. saying it's about the team and not about me. So I always use this little quote with my son. Uh, he'll have good games, bad games. And so I always say, uh, hey, what's the only statistic that matters? And He's supposed to say <laughs> he doesn't always do it, by the way. But he's supposed to say whatever his team's record is, and right now they're uh, seventeen right. and one. So, I'm, like seventeen and one is the only statistic we care about. That's the one that matters. You know, if you went zero for three, but your team wins big, who, who cares, man? You're part of a baseball team that collectively, and a team is collective. That you—that's uh, a great part about baseball. You can't win it all by yourself. That you, uh, you know, you, you won that game. So seventeen and one is the only stat we care about. So, um, sounds like Paul Goldschmidt's uh, dad probably taught him the same thing somewhere along the way. 
You know what I really enjoyed watching too? I liked seeing Jim Leland back in the dugout. I did too. Like, yeah. I, I mean, he's a whole You know, famer. he's always a he's a ball of nerves. You can <laughs> yes, see it. It's written all over his face. Chain he always ball is nerves. sneaking down in the tunnel <laughs> yeah. to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. You know. But the guys, you talk to the guys, they all they would run through a wall for him. I think the culture he created on that team, uh, you know, they respected him, and they, you know, Ian Kinsler, all those guys, like man, it's great to play for him again. Adam Jones had a phenomenal tournament, and then in the championship game, Strowman, who had what given up a billion runs, the last outing pitches a uh, like a perfect game through six. You know, yeah. I mean, they were just locked in. It was great. I thought it was a really great mental comeback for Strowman. Because Stroman pitches in the game before that, he pitches against uh, Puerto Rico, right? Puerto Rico beat him. And in the first inning, they get six straight hits off of Stroman. He lets up four runs. But he goes on and then pitches five straight scoreless innings and then in that game. And then he comes back and he pitches, you know, in the in the final game against the same team and just shut him down. So what a great yeah. middle. So to get beat up really, really bad early on against this team and then suddenly be able to uh, – know do what they did that's just really really cool that he had that mental capacity to be able to do that thing about baseball too that's interesting it's it's different than other sports if the cleveland cavaliers are going to win and that a championship lebron james is going to have to dominate right yeah steph curry is going to have to dominate um it's rare that a guy who you'd think of as a good solid player but not a superstar but you look at this and you got eric hosmer who's not probably even the top 10 of first baseman and he had a great series. Adam Jones, who's getting older. You know, if you were in a fantasy draft, you wouldn't take him above 30 guys, you know. Yeah. But he has a great series. Brandon Crawford, who with all these great shortstop, you know, he's got to be the 15th or 20th best shortstop in baseball now with all these great yeah. young guys. Yeah. Maybe he's the 10th or 11th. He had a great series. But they're you know? all so, gamers, man. They're all gamers. Yeah, Crawford's a gamer. Have a gamer. Hosmer's a gamer. Yep. I mean, the guys you want to be playing with. Yeah. Throughout the year. And he just goes, you know, five for a ten in a series and wins it for you. And it, you can't do that in any other sport. You got to have your big guys make big plays in every other sport if you're going to win a championship. Right. And baseball's it, different. It, in your mind, somewhere in the back of your mind, did you think, I wonder if Barry Bonds would do really good in this? I bet he would. I bet he could come out right now and dominate the World Baseball Classic had he played, uh, you know, center field, left field, wherever. I bet he could come out there and hit three or four home runs in that in that series. Should they do like every four years they do the World Baseball Classic, but then every two, every every four years, you know, in alternating, they should do like the uh, Senior Baseball Classic. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd be, actually go watch that. Yeah, because just think about it, you get to see Big Poppy again. You would get to see Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, for Team USA. Roger Clemens went out through BP for University of Texas just like a week ago, and the dude's throwing like you know mid upper eighties, striking everybody out on that nasty curveball, man. I mean, the guy still had it. He was bringing it through like six innings, it was scoreless innings. It was crazy how good those guys are. And they could just go how mess around. How many guys did he hit? Well, probably the first three to send a note, send a BP. lesson. <laughs> yeah, send a, send a message <laughs> right off the bat. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, speaking of which, Ferris, i got to tell you this. So I'm watching a high school game, and, my, and uh, it's my son's high school team, and our, the pitcher, Connor Carlton, if you haven't seen this kid pitch, man, he's amazing. Six-foot-three lefty, throws mid-upper 80s, and just spot on, hits every spot. Well, the other team doesn't get a hit the entire game. It's a perfect game. They bunt in the last inning. Connor picks it up, throws it first. It's a close play. They say our first baseman pulled his foot off the bag, which he didn't, by the way. But anyway, he says he pulled his foot off the bag. Do you plunk the next guy for bunting <laughs> for him to break up a perfect game? Do you just plunk him? In a high school game? 
Yes. <laughs> I know you I knew you were going to say that. Because I sat in the stands and I thought everybody was going to like, uh, they thought I was like some crazy lunatic, like I had three heads. I'm like, hey, is that, am I the only one here? You got to plunk the next guy. The guy just broke up did a perfect game. Did they all look at game. you like you're crazy? They did. They did. I'm like, I just thought it was like, I'm like, oh, it's what coming. What was the score of the game? If I'm the on-deck guy coming up there in that situation, I'm standing so far back in the box, I'm sitting in the dugout. I could sit down and sit in the dugout. That's how far out of the box What was the score of the game when he bunted? Uh, 17 to 0. And you're, oh, God. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I'd plunk the guy. I'd hit him as hard as I could right in the back. Right in the butt, I'd drop my right. glove as soon as he did it. I'd run right over to first base and punch the kid in the head. Yeah, I know. Let's get it going, yeah, man. No, let's get it on, man. It was a crazy play. But, well, that's because we're old school baseball. If you're new school baseball, you don't believe in what we just talked about. I think it's crazy. But, yeah, there's there are some rules. But, hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Ken Lane, the world's strongest, best bench pressure, once considered the world's strongest man, talking about what you do to get ready for powerlifting. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. Just catching our show for the very first time. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Coming to you from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. We out overlook a uh, sports training facility, so we don't only uh, talk about sports medicine and talk about trying to keep yourself healthy and trying to exercise for the right reasons and all the benefits we've talked about on the show numerous times. But we also practice what we preach. We like to uh, work out ourselves, and it's such a great um, – Man, just a great forum, I guess you would say, to be able to bring you this show talking about exercise when we see people exercising in front of us. And uh, my co-host each week is Ferris Potter. And Ferris, we are very, very fortunate to have on a longtime friend of mine and uh, Docs and Jocks. In fact, Ferris, he was the first Ferris. He was pre-Ferris. Ken Lane did the show with me <laughs> for, uh, I don't know, about five years, Ken, I think you would say. But let me give you a little introduction. If you, if you haven't heard me uh, talk about Ken Lane in the past, who used to be my co-host on the show, Ken is the uh, world's uh, best bench presser. That's not a, not a title I gave him. That's a title that he earned over years and years of dominating the, the sport of powerlifting and specifically bench press. He lifted Ferris 700. He bench pressed 765 pounds. Let that just sink in a little bit, Ferris. 765 pound bench press max. We were we were joking the commercial break. He goes, well, a lot of people do that now. I said, no, let's just take back the lot of people, Ken. I mean, no, there aren't a lot of people that do that. Yeah, Ferris, what are you? That's uh, that that's five Ferris's. Yes, that's five Ferris. Yeah, yeah, yeah just to put it, that's yeah. Five well, his bench press is five Ferris uh, bench press max. So just to put it in perspective, he also <laughs> Ferris. Hang on, hang on, Ken. I'll let you get in here. I haven't let. I haven't finished your what, how, how awesome you are yet, Ken. We'll We're let you get in here. You, We're praising you. Know, you. Just, just Ken is very, very humble. So this is what I always did to him. I always talked he about hates all his awards. This part. He hates yeah, it. he also uh, went to the World Championships uh, and uh, he had to replace one of his teammates. And uh, he finished first on the USA team in combined lift, deadlift, squats, and bench press, where he did Ferris 2,000 pounds. A lot of us call that a ton. That's a way to say that. He lifted a ton of weight, uh, literally 2,000 pounds on a combined lift. So really amazing what he did there in Italy. So and he is also the only human being on the planet Earth that has ever been the simultaneous uh, champion at all three weight categories, including super heavyweight, heavyweight, or, or 275, and then the 242 weight pound uh, pa- uh, class. So he held the bench press record in all three classes at the same time. It will never happen again. So with that, with no more further ado, Ken Lane, the world's best bench presser, once time considered the world's strongest man, a and former Docs and Jocks co-host. Ken, thanks for being on air. 
Hey, thanks for having me, Doc. <laughs> Appreciate you. It's just uh, uh, I'm tickled that they're having the uh, state championships there in uh, Emmeline tomorrow. That's why we have uh, you on. I thought it'd be fun to talk about you know the state championships. Every kid wants to be a champion. If it's at a city level, if it's at a local meet, if it's at the state level, even better. You've done it at the national, at the world level, obviously. But tell us what it's like when you were a young lifter and you were just getting into powerlifting and you were going for things like state meets and those types of things. What are these kids in their mind feeling the night before the big meet the next day? Well, you know, uh, it would have been nice to have had, you know, someone to, to kind of tell me, you know, what to do and what not to do when when I was in it. But uh, pretty much everything was trial and error for me. And, you know, usually I have to be, you know, hit straight in the face with a board before I get it. You know, my dad always told me, you know, the second time a mule kicks you, son, you don't really learn anything. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, after several, you know, some mistakes, making them several times, well, I, I learned a few things. And, you know, uh, the main thing is, you know, you do your you do your thing. Uh, every lifter should know what they're going to open with, you know, before they go into the meet. And I've seen so many, you know, uh, you know, trying to make up their mind, okay, what should I open with here? What, you know, maybe I'll increase it, maybe I'll decrease it. And, uh, what I learned was, you know, you, you want to open up with whatever you can triple and keep that triple number in mind because uh, uh, it's it's a number that uh, that won't hurt you, you know, or not as apt to hurt you uh, in training. And, and Doc, you know this better than anybody. Of course, you're the one that kept me in the in the business of it for a lot longer than what I should have been because you're such a, just a good doc. But uh, uh, you can pretty much take whatever you triple. And you can add ten percent to that, and that's that's going to be your max. And I mean, you can take that to the bank on the squat and the deadlift, and it might even be a few more pounds. But uh, what you can do in good form uh, for a triple, add ten percent to that, and that's what you're going to be able to max. That's so amazing. you know, uh, maxes in the gym uh, is just crazy. It's for it's to build your ego and maybe to impress some girlfriends, but uh, it's not doing you any good anyway. <laughs> and uh, you know, once you get injured. You know, it just sets you back, and and uh, anytime you do a an all out gut wrenching lift, your body's going to back off about you know five or ten percent, and there's nothing you can do about it. The whole thing about training is trying to train to where you peak for a certain day, and that would be meat day. You right, know, so save right. your best lift for meat day, and you know it took me a long time to learn that. You know, because there's a confidence thing, you know, well, I'm not sure if I can do that or not. And, and, you know, you just have to fight the urge to go ahead and try it, you know, one day when you're really feeling good because, you know, whether it's a squat or a bench or a deadlift, if you get into a situation where you're having to put out, well, I call it 110%, that's where you start the lift and it stops. Yeah. And then you dirty your drawers, you yeah. know, for a little bit, and you go ahead and finish the lift. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. That's what I call a gut-wrenching lift. <laughs> yes, I've been there. Uh, once yeah. you, you know, once, yeah, once, <laughs> once you've done that, you know, you're not going to do that lift again until you start your training cycle all over. So, yeah. you know, the first thing I would tell kids, you know, is, is you know, trust what you can triple. And, um, you know, uh, know what you're going to open with. At the meet, so many kids and so many, you know, people at the, at the national and world level would come in and try to open up too heavy. And let's say you get a bad spot or or, they, or a misload, which, you know, happens frequently. Yeah. Uh, and there you go again. I mean, you, you go all out trying to get that lift and, you, you, you know, you don't get it. And you found out it was overloaded twenty five or thirty pounds. Oh wow! Well, you you just lost your best lift yeah. in that meet, you know. So mm. open with what you can triple, 
in that way you're in the meat. The thing about powerlifting, you know, if if you open up, let's say you open up with a 400 pound bench press and your max is 400 and you miss it, you can't go back and say, okay, well my second attempt I want to do 390. You yeah. can't go down. Yeah. You have to go mm-hmm. up, you know, every time. So, um, you know, pretty much a no-brainer. You know, open up with what you can triple. And uh, that way, at least you're in the meet. And uh, then, you know, your nerves yeah. kind of settle down. All benches are different. Uh, uh, the, the, the spotters may be different. The atmosphere is different. And uh, then you can go ahead on your second attempt and go for whatever it is that you think you're going to, you know, going right. to be able to get. Hey, we're talking so. to Ken Lane here on Docs and Jocks. Ken's the world's greatest bench presser. Ferris, you had a question for him? Yeah, Ken. So, I mean, obviously, powerlifting is a very is physical, but uh, how much of the competition day is mental? Well, that's huge, you know. And again, uh, just like I was saying earlier, you know, that's where you have to, you know, uh, gauge yourself, pull yourself back because confidence, you know, comes over time. And I remember when I first started lifting, if if I got too serious or I got too psyched, is what they call it. You know, I, I mean, I would literally blow my lift, you know, because I would get so nerved up and so excited that I'd forget to breathe. You know, I, I mean, uh, just stupid stuff happens. And uh, uh, the more you lift, the more that you do it, the more the confidence, you know, level rises. And at the end, I was opening with world records, which was really kind of a smart aleck way to do things. But I was confident <laughs> enough in knowing, you know, what I was going to be able to hit. That's and uh, uh, but uh, you know, from what I've seen and, and what I've actually done in the past, you know, that's why that uh, uh, you know opening up with that with that uh, with that triple uh, is going. Then you're going to be able to be confident, you know, and. Those buttons, you know, everybody has buttons that they push. I don't care what athlete you are. When you really want to give it all your best, you know, you push those things mentally that uh, that do get you geared up. And, uh, uh, you know, at, at the end of my lifting career, you know, before I would take a lift, I mean, you know, my, my teeth would be chattering and, um, uh, you know, uh, I'd look like some kind of monster out of a movie as I was going up, you know, to do my lift. And all that mattered, you know, in life at that point in time, which I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm just saying that's kind of how I was. <laughs> right. All that mattered was getting that lift, you know. Right. So mental is a huge part of it. And, um, you know, you get up into the national and world class when, you you know, you got lifters, you know, that play the mind games just like they do in, in, in any sport. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I was going to ask mean, you about that, you know, probably did, did you, mental did you is a lot those... more of it than what people would like to yeah. think. Yeah, sorry, I was going to ask you about that. I was, you know, it brings back the movie Pumping Iron, which is bodybuilding, yes, of course. Yeah. But Arnold Schwarzenegger, and some of that was for the camera. But he loved to play those mind games. Like he'd walk in and go, "Oh, is your left bicep smaller than your right?" Just off the cuff, and it would put. Is there a lot of mind <laughs> powerlifting competitions? Like, oh, you look a little. Are you tired? Yeah. Did you not get enough sleep? Ken would have people. Ken would have people calling him. Tell him about people calling you ahead of time, telling you they were going to beat you. Well, yeah, and, you know, one of the, the the guy's name was Gil Thompson out of Houston. He was one of the best at the mind games. He was, you know, probably third, you know, in the nation. But I literally watched that guy. You know, he would he would befriend, you know, his competition, you know, the day before the meet. And, uh, you know, he would just bombard them with negative. He would come to a friend first. But, Man, that bitch ain't right. Man, these weights are too heavy. Man, this is wrong. This is wrong. <laughs> and I've literally watched that guy totally run, you know, people that could beat him. And at the time that person got That's to the so meet, smart. 
you know, he was so friggin' disgusted with the whole meet that, you know, he was he was unable to even get his opener. Wow. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, there's a lot of mental aspect. Anytime you get into, you know, uh, 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 sports, especially when you get into the upper levels, uh, you know, that, that brain, man, is, that's the biggest muscle we got, for Absolutely. sure. Yeah, that's another great Ken, yeah. Ken Lane quote. Hey, Ken, we are talking to Ken Lane, who bench pressed 765 pounds. You're just joining the show here on Docs and Jocks. And, Ken, uh, tell our listening audience, I, I love these stories. I mean, you and I used to talk about them quite a bit when you were on the show. But uh, when you would get yourself so psyched up uh, that you would uh, make up stories about your opponents who you were taking on that day that they had talked bad about your mama, talked bad about the state of Texas, you would do it. <laughs> tell, yeah. well, tell us some of the tricks is, you would use. You know, I, I did a. I did a pep rally out there at, uh, at Wiley one time, you know, and the kids came up after and said, man, thanks for that. And, and really, I was just trying to share something with them. And, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, I was calling it love. And I said, guys, come on. I know I'm trying to – you got a game to play tomorrow, and I'm talking about love. And you're going, come on, man, be serious. And I am being serious. Uh, yeah. You know, you talk about the things that are important to you, your, your family, your city, uh, you know, whatever it is you want to do. And then you look at your competition or, or, or the weights or whatever, and you mentally make this picture of them dissing them, you know, disrespecting, dishonoring, whatever. And you can work yourself up into a literal frenzy, you know. <laughs> and if you're able to channel that energy, you yeah. know, into, you know, whether it be lifting or, or whatever sport that it is that you're doing, it gives you an edge. It yeah. just does. And, uh, uh, but there's a difference in being able to get there and let it control you and you being able to control it. Right. If you can make it work for you, I mean, you know, it adds pounds to your lift. It'll add uh, seconds to your, you know, or knock seconds off your hundred, whatever it is that you're doing. You push those mental buttons like that. And, of course, it, that, that takes time, you know, to be able to learn to do that and to channel it in the direction that you want it you know, to where it'll be beneficial for you <laughs> rather than detrimental like it, like it was for me in the beginning. Coach Hess, uh, who uh, you're good friends with and trained with you back in the day, he uh, was – I was trying to perform my bench press max. I think it was 360. I didn't ever even come close to ever trying that in my, in my short uh, bench pressing career. And I was getting ready to go, and he slapped me in the chest. And then he took the weight off and gave it to me. And that really – because it gave me that little mental edge you're talking about. It kind of made you angry, mad, you know, when he did it, but it worked, and uh, I was able to get that weight up. But I think that's what you're talking about, that little adrenaline boost you get right before you go lift it. Hey, Ken, these kids are getting ready to do their sports, their uh, state championship meet. How did you go about, we just got a couple minutes here, but how did you go about the day of the meet? What did you eat? How did you prepare your body? Did you do the exact same thing you had done every other day in the gym, or did you change it up, or did you, uh, you know, what did you do on as far as nutrition? Because I know you're a big nutrition guy, too. Well, usually, you know, if I wasn't in the super heavyweight class, I always had to make weight. And uh, uh, my, most of my competitive uh, meets were the 275 class. That's where I was most comfortable. But, uh, uh, you know, the last week before the meet, truly the less you do, uh, the, the better it is for you. And I know that everybody has a problem with that. But, I mean, I'm just telling you, there's nothing you can do, you know, as far as training-wise that last week. When I say the last week, I'm talking, you know, five days before the meet. You know, you wake up on Monday, and then your meet's probably going to be on Saturday. Uh, there's nothing that last five, five days that you're going to be able to do training-wise that, that's going to add add to that. So, you know, it's, it's a time to heal. It's a time to, uh, uh, if you're making weight, used to, you know, we'd weigh in 24 hours before, and, um, you know, I mean, it's a dirty way to do it, but I might do a double dose of x drop six pounds, and then you're <laughs> doing steam room and the sauna. Oh, okay. and, uh, 
so you got 24 hours, you know, to you know to to uh, you know take all your electrolytes and all your fluids back in. And generally, you know, I would go in at a 275 class meet, actually weighing 285, 290, wow. which gave me a huge boost. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, over someone that actually was natural weight was 275. You know, they were giving up, you know, 10 or 15 pounds to me, and that's why I spanked their little bottoms so bad. You know, was, uh, <laughs> a lot of it was I had that extra weight on them. But uh, oh. uh, rest is the main thing. You know, that last week, uh, you know, before me, and I think it's that way, you know, pretty much before, you know, any competition, uh, you know, you want to be 100% the day of. That's the whole, right. you know, you back your training out to where you're training for a certain day, uh, and and uh, that's when you want to be a hundred percent. And I'm telling you, it's a science, you know. And being able to hit that on the head every time, you know, right. there's just so many things that can interfere with that. But uh, yeah, the less you do, uh, the less you worry, the more rest you can get. Nobody sleeps the yeah. day, the night before a game, or the night before a meet. But uh, you know, you just stay still. Hey, we've been talking to Ken Lane, my good friend. Hey, Ken, you know you're a bad mother when you. Uh, are talking about spanking the little bottoms of 275-pound grown men power lifters, but that's exactly what you did for your career. So not very many people <laughs> on the planet can say that, but my good friend well, Ken Lane can't say Thank you so no. much for being on the show, Ken. Man, we'll have to have you on again real hey. soon. I appreciate you, All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, Sports Medicine Radio Show after the short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Hey, if you're just catching our show for the very first time, want to find out more about your sports medicine show, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Remember, you can uh, hear us if you're not in one of our listening uh, radio station areas. You can also listen to our show anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes app, by going to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. My co-host each week is Ferris Potter. Ferris is the longtime sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, we have on a good friend of ours that we've talked to uh, previously. It's been a while, so we wanted to have him on talking about his special specialty area in visual performance, Dr. Barry Seiler, who is an ophthalmologist who uh, specializes in visual performance, and he is the CEO and founder of Visual Edge, a visual performance program. Dr. Seiler, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Oh, well, thanks for asking me. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this the subject. We we love to have you on because I think one of the things we're talking about athletes <clears throat> and athletic performances performance. One of the things we leave out. We always talk about strength and conditioning. People go into gyms and train for their sport. We talk about having uh, nutritionists on. You got to put the right fuel in for your body to make sure that it works correctly. But one of the things I think gets lost sometimes in the mix is how important your visual performance is for your overall athletic ability, especially when you're talking about sports like baseball. We got to see a baseball coming at you quickly, a, a wide receiver trying to catch a football. But you were one of the pioneers in this field. Tell our listening audience, if you had to kind of kind of boil down what visual performance is, kind of tell our listening audience uh, why they need to do it or why they should do it and what it really means. Well, what's happened is that everyone would realize that the, uh, the eyes lead the body. Right. And uh, uh, the visual input that you get, uh, if it's a- accurate, will allow you to go ahead and perform better than if it's inaccurate. And the quicker you can recognize and respond to things, the better off you're going to go ahead and be, or the better off you're going to have in making time to go ahead and respond correctly or making adjustments that need to be done. It's really a small but critical component to any 
uh, any sport and actually to any occupation. And that would include reading, uh, music, a lot of areas that we're experimenting in, in now to go ahead and use the program besides, obviously, in sports. And also, I must uh, add to you, um, Doctor, that the uh, uh, same visual skills that you have that you use for all these activities are what's affected once you get a concussion or more. Right, exactly. And yeah. uh, that uh, accounts for why a lot of people just don't respond quickly or afterwards after having a concussion. Right. They might be yeah. seeing three or four or five different doctors <laughs> who really don't realize the implication of visual input and how important that is and how scrambled that can get once you have a head injury. Yeah, one of the things you see in eyes, for our listening audience, we see in the eyes when someone who's had a severe concussion, their eyes, when they look far to the side, they'll actually kind of oscillate a little bit. They'll move back and forth real quick. That's one of the things we see in a, a severe concussion. But, yeah, it, little changes in vision. Like you said, your eyes lead the body. So a little bit of a change or a, or a problem with uh, converging, pulling your two eyes together, mm-hmm. watching a baseball. When you've got to hit a baseball, smack on, barrel it up. Just a few millimeters off with your vision can make your swing barrel, uh, you know, make your swing a little bit different. So it really does matter. The vision part of your uh, swing, the vision part of your body, really makes a big difference for these young kids. Have you seen a lot of changes in these athletes that you've worked with who've improved their vision? It's it's really been pretty dramatic, and uh, now you know we really divide our our clientele into two types. One is the elites, the professionals, the Olympic athletes, who just two or three percent improvement in their in their uh, function may make the difference between winning a medal or making the All Star team, and then we have kids uh, that are somewhere after eight to twelve years of age or teenagers, who this can make a huge difference in them making the the varsity or struggling along in their sport and getting actually frustrated so they don't even participate in that in the sport. You know, they may choose dance or music or some other activity just because they uh, just don't have the hand-eye coordination uh, to, to contain their frustrations when they can't go ahead and perform. Right, right. Ferris? Hey, Dr. Seiler, we, we uh, talked in the past, but just for some folks who might be hearing you for the first time, how many different uh, colleges are, are you guys working with now, and, and what have the effects been when you, when you try to work with an entire team, um, you know, specifically probably in baseball? Well, Ferris, you know, I, I really need uh, to tell you that we've really grown since the last time you and I spoke in this particular area, and where I would say that the major growth was the fact that um, it has been in the high school level. And we just signed up. Uh, they're using a program now for the last few weeks is uh, a number of high schools in Texas. Wow. And actually actually one in Oklahoma, apparently a large one called Jenks High School. And uh, But there's a number of them in, in Texas and one actually near Tomball that's using the program regularly. So, um, I mean, I just got a, a email this morning and talked for a few minutes with a baseball coach at the University of Pennsylvania. And he said, I heard about you from uh, the pros, and I want to go ahead and see what's going on. And, uh, you know, can I uh, talk with you further about what the costs are? How do we go ahead and implement that sort of thing? So we've got something set up for Monday. And so, yeah, yeah it's growing and growing and growing when it comes to 
uh, the lower level uh, air aspects of sports. Hey, we're talking to Barry Seiler here on Docs and Jocks, and Dr. Seiler is a specialist in uh, visual performance. And Dr. Seiler, uh, you you uh, created a program, and you're one of the pioneers in starting this sports performance. But you created a program called Visual Edge. And so it's been uh, featured on ESPN, numerous magazines. It's, it's used in the big leagues, college, like we just talked about, even the high school level now. Explain for a listening audience what Visual Edge is and how that program uh, is used. Well, Visual Edge is, is a program that we created to go ahead and measure and then train, if necessary, the visual component of, your, of, the, of any game. In other words, your visual skills. And we're talking about it's based on good visual acuity, and we uh, presume that uh, the athlete would have good visual acuity, having been checked in school or by an eye doctor. And then the other components, which typically are tracking the ball, hand-eye coordination, um, seeing near to far rapidly, recognizing and responding quicker and more efficiently, and uh, depth perception, the ability to see the ball, track it, to judge its velocity, its rotation, its trajectory. We can measure all those on our program, which is an online program. So all you have to do is have a special, inexpensive pair of 3D glasses, which we provide, and then you can go ahead and, um, and do the evaluation, which gives us a baseline and allows us to compare one athlete to another, and also allows us to compare that athlete if they go ahead and train to their uh, tr- uh, pre-training uh, scores. And so then there's a uh, training component, and it's not very time-intensive. So if you're deficient or if you want to go ahead and enhance certain abilities, uh, like reading and reacting quicker, uh, you would go ahead and use the program two to three times a week for anywhere between, no oh, 12 to 15 minutes. Right. You okay. could train for 20 minutes, but you get get tired. It's like any program we call it weight training for the eyes. And so uh, it's a, a program that you don't have to do forever. You wean yourself off of it after full four to six to eight weeks and then either maintain it or go back to it if you find yourself uh, slipping. The other thing that's important, uh, Ferris, that I wanted to mention to you has to do with the fact that this is very interactive with reading. And so we find that kids who use the program actually get better academically besides athletically. And what more could a parent want yeah. than trying to get a scholarship that somebody is better academically and athletically? Right. Ferris? Hey, Dr. Siler, is, is there an age limit on this? I mean, where you're mainly talking with young kids, you know, high school or competitive athletes probably in their 20s, but have you, have you, have you had parents who are like in their 40s, 50s go, hey, I'd like to, you know, get my eyes better for just the weekend warrior stuff I do or <clears throat> like you mentioned about reading? Yeah, well, Ferris, uh, what happens is that we typically can start kids off at age 8. And uh, that's a give or take, depending on the cooperation of the of the child and also their uh, motivation. And then we have uh, people who are in their 40s and 50s who, as you say, want to keep up with the, with the other people that they're playing against, or maybe a weekend warrior, that sort of thing. And uh, they want to increase their you know response time and reaction and accuracy and that sort of thing. So. Um, this is a simple, easy, inexpensive, non-time-consuming way to go ahead and do that. 
And so we may be involved in a lot of senior circuit people, uh, golfers, uh, tennis players. Uh, we are just uh, setting up a program for the United States Tennis Association. Dr. Seiler, I know uh, when I was a young kid, uh, one of the things that we did was visual acuity. You know, that was the only thing that we ever measured our eyes by. So you would uh, go, to the, uh, go to your doctor, and they would have you read the board, and you would be a 2020. And so that was the only thing we did visual, visual uh, ever testing at all. So, but when I learned about your program through my son, and by the way, Dr. Seiler is, is exactly right. This is a very easy program to do. I've watched my son do it. He's been doing it for several years now, and it's made a huge difference, by the way. But it's very easy. It's not time-consuming. And like you said, it's just a little pit set of 3D glasses the only thing you need other than a computer screen. You can use him do it on your iPad or on your Android now. So he, he's, they've made it even simpler. But talk about some of those things that I learned about as I was going through this with my son that you test on the program and that you try and treat, like convergence and divergence. Let's start with that one because it's one of the areas oftentimes where people have problems. What is convergence and divergence, and how do you uh, try and train people to get better at it? Well, when you're going ahead and, and uh, the eyes obviously move up and down, in and out, and uh, the way that we uh, see things is we typically see them at a distance and then we see them at near. If things are at a distance, your eyes tend to diverge or be slightly tilted outward. And then as an object's coming towards you, or if you're looking at something like a book, you're converging your eyes where you're swinging them in. And so this this near-to-far and far-to-near ability. So we can actually measure your score on divergence, and we can measure your score on convergence. Um, Certain sports, you converge more than other sports. In other words, baseball, softball, tennis, hockey, goalie, uh, or any type of goalie, you're rapidly converging on an object coming towards you. But then in other sports like basketball, you're looking far away, and so really your gaze is from near to far. And so I always had a feeling that, uh, never proved this, but that's one of the reasons that Michael Jordan might not have been able to go ahead and uh, be as successful in baseball, baseball as he was yeah. in basketball because he was training his eyes for distance from shooting. And now he's got an object coming towards oh, him at yeah. 100 miles an hour. Right, top, so exactly opposite. That, you know, we'll never know, but that may have been one of the reasons that that situation occurred. One of the great things you told us in the past was that sometimes uh, you've tested people in Major League Baseball that they thought probably weren't going to be a top star you know, prospect, but when you tested their visual acuity, they were one of the players that you said, hey, this guy's probably going to be really good. And I remember you mentioned Mike Piazza, a guy that was drafted, I believe, in like the 60th round or something like that, but he had incredible visual performance, and uh, the recommendation was that he's probably going to be a top prospect, and it ended up being true. Yeah, so we um, uh, our our involvement with Major League Baseball, uh, one of the areas is in with scouting. And so about 14 Major League Baseball teams, all their scouts have our software on their laptop. And when they're out testing players physically, they test them visually. And that's part of their drafting process, part of their portfolio. That those scores go in there and determine what's what. Now, it's easy in the most part, to, to, to check, uh, obviously, be able to go ahead and measure or just by observation the people in the first, second, third round. But where it gets much more difficult is you have 50 rounds of drafting. And so we've been told by a lot of scouts that who never make it to see somebody play that's uh, out in the middle of nowhere 
um, that <clears throat> excuse me that they are using the uh, Visual Edge program as a way of drafting without having to go ahead and spend the time out in the field. Right, exactly. And, you know, the other thing I think I saw my son working on was depth perception, and that was one of the things, if you think about, like, uh, playing football, and you have to have good depth perception, those types of things. But that's another area you work on as well, other than just visual acuity, convergence, divergence, depth perception is one of the ones you work on as well. How do you train that? Absolutely. Well, depth perception is really trained somewhat indirectly. In other words, when you train convergence and divergence, you're really training your depth perception. When you're training your tracking abilities, they're all essentially all of this is in harmony right. and working together. What we're able to do with the program is measure each component, split it apart, train those areas directly or indirectly, and then essentially reassemble it and then go ahead and have them use their newfound uh, visual skills. And they also will, you know, report things like how much easier it is to read the scroll on right. the, the, the ESPN screen. Yeah, yeah. That's a, tra- that's a tracking ability. Your eyes are tracking across at all times. And, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention to you, and, of course, we train a number of race car drivers, yeah. is that just the, the field of driving oh. is requires really good depth perception. Absolutely. I mean, how many times... It, how many times have you been in a car and uh, you're, you're, you're in there or see you're driving or the passenger's in there and say, you're too close to the car in front of you? Well, no, Dr. I'm not. I, Dr. Siler, I think one away. of the things that I'm going to take away from this that's interview... Because, that's because your depth perception, their depth perception is different. One of these things I'm going to take away from this interview is that the eyes lead the body, and I think it does that in everything, whether you're driving a car, hitting a ball, all those things. So, hey, our interview is always too short with you, Dr. Siler. We'll have to have you on back again uh, to talk more about visual performance and how you've been a pioneer in that field. Hey, thank you so much for being on Docs and Jocks. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. Hey, if you want to find out more about your sports medicine radio show, we'd love to have you do so, as well as uh, contact us by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Also, listen to our iTunes app and listen to us anytime, anywhere by going to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, I want to say thank you to all our great uh, sponsors, including uh, West Texas Neurosurgeons, Dr. Trammell, Dr. Brown, Dr. Edelman. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. Uh, Ferris, uh, Ferris Potter, my voice, the voice of Grand Canyon University, my longtime co-host, was kind enough to get uh, us doc, uh, doctor. Yeah, we call him doctor. He's, he's Thunder Dan, Dr. Dan, Dr. He's Marley. a doctor of basketball. He is now, apparently. So we have on Dan, Thunder Dan Marley, former NBA uh, All-Star, uh, G- Grand Canyon University head basketball coach, good friend of Docs and Jocks. Uh, uh, Dan, thanks for being on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, let's talk a little bit about Grand Canyon University. Uh, just uh, finished the uh, last year of your transition to, Grand, to uh, Division One. Uh, Grand Canyon has now won 49 games these past two years. Been a been a great start to your coaching career. You got to be excited about where you are right now with some great recruits coming in for this next year. Looking forward to being uh, Division One, fully Division One. Yeah, you know it's went pretty quickly. Uh, next year will be our first year that we'll be eligible for the NCAA tournament. We're excited about it. We've uh, uh, really built a good program. Um, first year we won 15, and then 17. And then we had a 27 win uh, season, and, and uh, this year we were 22 and nine. Yeah, uh, we continue to get better. We play great teams, uh, so I'm excited. Uh, pressures will be on next year, uh, but we're looking forward to it. Our guys are working hard, and 
Uh, should be a great year. I mean, it's something, like I said, when I was signed here uh, four years ago, this is what I was looking for, and uh, it'll be here coming next year, and uh, we'll be in a good position, so it's going to be a lot of fun. That's awesome. Ferris? Yeah, Coach, uh, no rest. I know you're out hitting the recruiting trail because you're going to lose, uh, you know, your point guard, Dwayne Russell, is going to be gone. Um, Darian Clark's going to be gone. Um, how's it been going on that recruiting trail? And I know you've got a kid coming in, uh, Oscar Freyer's uh, running mate up in uh, Northern California you're excited about. But how's it been on the recruiting trail, especially as we get near this uh, full inclusion into D1 and out of that transitionary period? You know, it's been good. We've been able to start talking to a, uh, a higher – uh, recruitable athlete, especially out of high school. Yeah. You know, when you're not eligible for the tournament, uh, uh, high school kids are, are really concerned about that, and it's hard to get in the door and, and have conversations with them. But uh, now that we are eligible, we've been able to talk to that uh, those kind of athletes, and we've done a really good job of going overseas and finding talent uh, uh, all over the place, and we continue to do that. Um, we're excited about the guys we got coming back. You know, One of the things we've always talked about is our ability to, to uh, make our players better. Uh, as they continue to to uh, you know play for us, and uh, we have guys now that have been been the program for four years and continue to get better, and uh, you know next year's the time for us to shine. So I'm excited about it. Uh, it's going to be a big deal because of what he's able to provide for us as far as his leadership and scoring and all those kind of things. But I'm really happy with the guys we got back, and uh, we'll continue to hit the recruiting trail. The, the young man coming in from California is playing in the state championship uh, tomorrow night. Uh, he's the leading scorer in their high school uh, in history and has had a, a tremendous year, and uh, we expect a lot out of him. Maybe you know not next year because being a freshman is going to be a, a big transition for him, but I'm sure he'll come in and play really hard and do some good things for us. But uh, I'm just excited with the development uh, that we got going. You know, Oscar played a lot of minutes last year as a freshman. Tifi Adu, another freshman, uh, got to play. So uh, both those guys got some great experience and will be sophomores next year. Hey, Coach, one thing that seems like it's really changed the landscape of recruiting is that graduate transfer eligibility. I mean, two years ago, we kind of caught lightning in a bottle with Grandy Glaze. He was a huge part of the team last year. We had Darren Clark, who gave you big minutes. How has that changed uh, recruiting now that you get these guys who either redshirt or have an injury, and after you know they get their degree, they can come in and play right away, and you get almost kind of a grown man a little bit there? Yeah, it helps. I mean, you, you, you try to find guys, at least we try to find guys that are uh, – uh, are guys that want to come in and prove something, that prove that uh, they can really shine in the right situation. Uh, and we did get that with Grandy. You know, he was at St. Louis, and uh, he felt like he wanted a place where he could get some uh, significant minutes and show what he can do. And we have that discussion with him that, uh, you know, that ability's here, but it's always about GCU and winning uh, and, and being about the team first. And uh, we'll let you do what you can do and put you in a position to succeed if you work hard and do it the right way. And Grandy did that and had a heck of a year and is now making money overseas. Uh, Darian, uh, a lot of the same way, played at a great uh, university at USC, came in, unfortunately got hurt, was hurt a lot of the year, uh, but yeah. was really rounding into a guy that really helped us at the end of the year and was a big part of what we did. You know, we won our last seven games, beat Bakersfield at Bakersfield, who hadn't won and now was in the uh, NIT semifinals. So, uh, that's been a good thing for us, and we're always continually to look for guys who can step in and, and help us. 
Hey, you're listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We're interviewing uh, Dan Marley, former NBA All-Star, now head basketball coach for Grand Canyon University. And Coach Marley, one of the things, uh, we're a sports medicine show here, and we talked to your athletic trainer, Jordy Hackett, and we were talking about how some of your players had some pretty devastating injuries, an Achilles rupture, but was able to, able to come back very fast from that injury. And you got to give a shout-out to that sports medicine staff who was able to get these guys recovered and back out on the court and keep you in some games. Yeah, you know, Jordy does a terrific job. Uh, he really works hard at it, and uh, GCU has is, is, uh, put a lot of money towards that and has done a good job of trying to keep all their athletes uh, healthy, just not ours, but all 21 sports. Uh, and then, you know, we had a lot of injuries. We had a kid go down with a with a bad back who had a surgery. We had another kid blow out his knee, and then uh, Kenzo uh, tore his Achilles and uh, was able to come back uh, uh, four months later. So you got to give a lot of credit to Jordy and, and the, the training staff, but also to Kenzo. I mean, the kid tirelessly, yeah. tirelessly worked uh, his way back, and right. uh, anytime he can come in and get some live action, uh, he wasn't completely healthy, but at least to be able to get him out there and see the speed of the game and uh, he kind of recognizes what he has to work for next year and how it's going to be. That, that's the way to get in the coach's good graces, right, when you see those guys working hard when they're not even eligible to play? <laughs> well, you know, it's huge. We, we, need, we talk about what we want to do here at Grand Canyon that's not easy, and I talk about it all the time. So uh, I want guys who are in the gym. Um, I need guys who are going to be really committed to doing what we're supposed to do because what we're trying to do, and that is to make the tournament in our first year in transition, is not going to be easy. So I need guys that are going to eat, sleep, basketball, and study, uh, and just really be concerned about where we're going. And we got a lot of guys like that who are gym rats and love to play and love to get better. You know, this is the time of the year, Coach, every coaching, uh, every basketball coach wants their team in March Madness. And, you know, it has to take you a little bit back. Next year you'll be playing for March Madness, uh, being fully transitioned into uh, Division One there at Grand Canyon. But it has to take you back a little bit in time. And back in 1987 when you are playing in March Madness, a Central Michigan team uh, makes the dance, and then uh, you, you uh, end up pairing up with uh, UCLA. So take us back in time a little bit and tell us what it's like as a player getting ready to play in uh, March Madness. Well, it was special because when I went to Central Michigan, we weren't very good, uh, very good team. We were in last place. Uh, uh, you know, when I was a senior in high school, I got there as a freshman. Uh, we kind of worked our way up, and then by the time we were a junior, we ended up winning the WAC and winning or winning the MAC and winning the tournament, uh, and had a really incredible year. We didn't lose at all at home. I uh, had a, a tremendous team, and uh, unfortunately, we got matched up against UCLA. We played them in Utah, and, and that was uh, Reggie Miller's team. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. First half, we just right. got uh, just kind of just got blown out, and we kind of battled in the second half, but they beat us pretty bad. Uh, so my experience at the NCAA tournament wasn't very long, but it's it's something that you want to experience as a player, and I got to do that and, and play against UCLA and Reggie Miller. So you know, I talk about this with all the kids all the time. You, the, the NCAA tournament is awesome. It really is. It's a lot of fun, but. Uh, you got to pick the right school uh, that's going to make you a better player and, and a coaching staff that's going to make you improve because that NCAA tournament, it may just be one game. And, right. you know, hopefully, you know, you can be there for four years and, and make a run. But uh, the most important thing for a college athlete to, to pick the right school is going to get them better uh, as a player and as a person. Right. Paris? Hey, Coach, at the time of this taping, uh, we got uh, half of the Elite Eight has been uh, finalized here. As you look at the brackets and how things have happened, you know, it's kind of cool to see that GCU has played a lot of these teams that are still in it here or that were in the tournament. Anything surprising you about some of the teams that are uh, continuing to advance? No, I don't think there's a whole lot of surprise. You know, I, obviously, I, I, you know, I feel bad for Coach Miller and U of A. I had them going to the finals. Uh, I had Yep. Uh, Kansas winning it all at, at 
looks like a really good pick right now, the way they're playing. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. they're just dismantling everybody they've been playing. So uh, a little disappointed for, for Coach Miller and U of A. I thought they had a really good team. It's a terrific year. And, uh, you know, just to lose in that fashion and that way is disappointing. Happy for Gonzaga uh, with us being a mid-major, uh, not part of, part of a Power 5 conference. You're always glad to see teams like that do well and, and continue to do well. And I know Coach View pretty well. So, uh, I've been enjoying watching them play, but uh, I'm very interested in the UCLA-Kentucky game tonight. That's, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but uh, I think Kansas is going to be the team to beat. They're, they're hitting on all cylinders. they got a really tremendous guard play, and I think when you have a, uh, a guy like Frank Mason who's been there for four years and uh, the type of player he is, and then you add guys around him, guys like Josh Jackson, who I think is the best freshman in the country uh, playing at this level, it, it makes you hard to beat. Right. Yeah, Coach, I was a little surprised with Kansas. I thought they'd get to the Final Four, but, man, I was a little shocked at how they you, – you, you used the word dismantling. That was a really good Purdue team, and, and there was, that wasn't even a contest in that matchup. No, you know, they, they you know Purdue was in it for a while, and then they just put it on all cylinders. And like I said, it's because they have a, little, a great mixture of guys who've been there for a long time, really tough kids. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, they play in a good conference, and Coach Self has done an unbelievable job with that team. And uh, to have the year that they had uh, in that conference, and all they do is win. So they've been uh, a team that's been able to do that all year long, and they got really tough-minded kids, and obviously talented. they got size. But I, I think the guard play is the big thing with them. And when you have a guy, uh, much like a Dwayne Russell on our team, when you have guys who've been there a long time, who's a senior, has been through it all, uh, and is that type of player, uh, it, it brings a lot to your team. And then you sprinkle in other guys. And as I said, Josh Jackson is just one of those guys that's just one of unbelievable talent. And uh, if he's not picked first, I think he'll probably be picked second in the NBA draft. Hey, we're talking to Coach Dan Marley here on Docs and Jocks. And Coach Marley, one of the uh, moments that stand still in time with March Madness, I think uh, we always think about that Jimmy V, North Carolina State team that he had. It's been, uh, I think it's been highlighted on 3030. But we heard that you were good friends with, Jim, uh, with uh, Vinny Del Negro. Has he ever told you any stories about that team or Coach Jimmy V that you could share with us here on air? No, he hadn't said a whole lot. Vinny and I did play together. We played golf a lot. Uh, you know, he was a really, really tremendous player at North Carolina State. Great guy. I know he has a great affection for uh, Coach Valvano and what he was able to do there. Um, but we haven't had shared a whole lot of stories about that. Um, uh, but Vinny's one of those guys who uh, has done a great job of, of taking what he's learned and has coached at the uh, at the at the NBA level and and all those kind of things. So you know, I remember that uh, very well. Uh, you know, throwing a ball and uh, you know getting an air ball and putting it in, and you look up and your team is one. Yeah. And the reaction by Coach Valvano was was priceless. So right. you never know what's going to happen in, in college basketball. I think that's why it's one of the greatest games ever. Uh, you know, you think about Villanova beating Georgetown with Patrick Ewing and those yeah. guys and wow. Ed Pinkney, who I played with uh, with the Miami Heat. Um, anybody can beat anybody, and March Madness is just uh, is one of the best uh, uh, you know months around. And I'm excited to, to to be able to be a part of it uh, this next weekend coming up with the, coming here to Phoenix and yeah. uh, seeing all that kind of stuff. It's gonna be fun. Sure, Ferris. Hey, coach. This brings up maybe the most important question we've had in quite some time: Who wins on the golf course, you or Vinny <laughs> Del Negro? Well, if you ask Vinny, he'll say it's him, and if you ask me, I'm going to tell you it's me. So, uh, no, we played we played a lot of golf together. Vinny's a good player, and uh, he's probably playing a little bit more than I am because he's semi-retired. He's not coaching right now, but we have some really good battles. And uh, you know, he takes me up to Whisper Rock, and I play him at Arizona Country Club, and we have some really good matches. So, 
Uh, we just go out there. We both hit it pretty far. Sometimes we don't know where it's going. We just go trying to find it. <laughs> Whoever's uh, probably making more putts that day is going to win. Speaking about competitors, your Lopes, uh, Grand Canyon University and Lopes uh, broadcaster is a uh, former NBA center, Scott Williams. Do you and he ever uh, do a little one-on-one when the cameras aren't on you? No, you know, Scott is, uh, <laughs> is, is, you know, first of all, he has a ring of mine. He was on that 1992-93 uh, Chicago Bulls team. Uh, that yeah, sold our right. championship exactly. from us. So uh, I, I don't like Scott. I hate Scott. I don't enjoy him very much. Uh, of course, I'm just kidding. Uh, Scott's yeah. a great guy, but we're yeah. both a little bit uh, we're both a little bit past our prime. So uh, if anybody got on the floor, it'd probably be an injury coming. But uh, Scott does a great job on TV, and we're happy to have him with the Lopes. Uh, uh, really a good guy, and obviously a terrific player. Right. Hey, uh, we're speaking. Uh, last week we had your name came up. Coach Bill Frieder was on here on Docs and Jocks, former Michigan coach, and he said his biggest, biggest disappointment was whether he never went and saw you play and that he didn't recruit you to Michigan. So your name comes up uh, all the time, uh, uh, Coach Marley, and uh, man, Bill Frieder was really sad that he'd get you to Michigan. Well, I was sad too. I mean, Michigan <laughs> was right. You know, it, it, yeah. it was you know Michigan or Michigan State. They didn't recruit me. I signed after my junior year, which was. Uh, you know, the first time you could do that back then, and I, I had a I had a really good junior year, and then uh, I, Michigan came to me, and Michigan State came to me, and they said, "Hey, uh, we would like you to wait, and we'll watch you play as a senior, and then we'll you know evaluate you more, and see if we're going to offer." And at that time, I said, "No, I'm going to go to Central Michigan. Uh, I'm happy with that. It's two hours from my house. My parents can see me play." And I ended up averaging 38 and 16 my senior year in high school, and was the second leading scorer in the nation. So, obviously, had a really really good year, and. Um, I think it was a blessing in disguise to go to Central Michigan because it was the ability for me to uh, to really improve as a player and get better and get a lot of minutes early, which is something I tell guys that we're recruiting is that you've come to Grand Canyon, you're going to be able to play right away. Uh, you're going to get a, a, a lot of minutes. You're going to develop uh, your game. And I played a lot of different positions, and I don't know if that would have happened if I was at Michigan or, or Michigan State because they're always recruiting other guys, and uh, sometimes you get overlooked. Well, basically, he said on air that he was sorry for that. So that has to make you feel good all these years later. So, well, Coach Marley, I want to say thank you for coming on Docs and Jocks. We wish all your Grand Canyon University uh, all the best of luck next year as you go fully transitioned into D1. And hopefully, we'll be talking about uh, next year. We'll do this interview uh, when you guys are getting ready to play uh, your first couple rounds in the uh, March Madness tournament, NCAA tournament. So, best of luck to you. And, uh, man, we look forward to having you on again. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, great to have you with us today. If you just kept you on our show for the very first time, we would love to have you uh, be part of our show by going to docsandjocks.com. There you can ask us your own uh, question. Uh, if you have something you want to hear on air, if you want to ask a question to myself, Dr. Dan, just uh, send it to docsandjocks.com or find out how to contact us there and send it to docsandjocks uh, at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, um, you name it, uh, Facebook, it's there on docsandjocks.com. I do want to say thank you to some of our great sponsors, including uh, Abilene Sports Medicine Orthopedics, Medical Diagnostic Imaging, as well as the uh, Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Couldn't not do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. Thank you so much for being a sponsor if you are. If you want to find out how to be a sponsor, go to docsandjocks.com. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the longtime sports broadcaster and the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, thanks. Uh, it's been a great show today. I tell you what, man, thanks for getting a – uh, Thunder Dan Marley, uh, your head basketball coach there at GCU, former NBA All-Star. I've told him this in person before, but he was my favorite NBA player. I'm kind of, every time I have him on, you know how some guests, 
I, I don't usually get nervous, but I always get a little bit nervous for Thunder Dan because he was <laughs> right. my favorite, you know, in basketball. I loved the Suns during that time period. He was my favorite son back when they played the Chicago Bulls in the, uh, you know, going into the championship there. They, and he's right. They were robbed, by the way. They should have won that one. And so, uh, man, I, I always get a little bit nervous with Thunder Dan, but he's a great interview. If you want to go back and listen to that interview anytime, you can do that by going to uh, docsandjocks.com. It'll be there on our website, and you can uh, listen to it anytime, anywhere. Yeah, great guy, great coach. He's doing a fantastic job at GCU. You know, I, we didn't get a chance to talk to him about it, but his name is starting to get mentioned, um, you know, for other coaching vacancies. Illinois had a vacancy, and, you know, Jerry Colangelo, a great friend of Dan, and uh, Jerry is a graduate of Illinois, so they talked about that. But, you know, Dan came on and said, hey, look, it's it's great, but I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go anywhere. I think the only wild card would be if a good NBA job came open. I think, obviously, uh, that's a level he's very familiar with and comfortable with. I think he'd like to go back there. But he's also got family here in town, and he said he wants to stick around, you know. So we'll just have to wait and see. But it's good for you as a school when your coach is so good. Other schools want to steal him from you, yeah. but it's bad for you as a school, too. <laughs> yeah. Because eventually somebody comes along that gives such a great offer, they just go somewhere. But. You know, as he said, hey, Gonzaga, Mark Few's been there 19 years, and this might be the year he wins a national championship or at least gets to – I mean, he really could get to the championship game uh, at Gonzaga, and uh, that's a mid-major. That's not a great conference they're in other than them and St. Mary's. So Dan Marley looking to build something very similar to what Mark Few's done up in Gonzaga, so maybe he wants to stick around GCU and do it. I, de- I know he definitely does for now. That's what he's saying, you know, and it's good to, good for the Lopes that he wants to stick around. A lot of times you have to wait till the uh, March Madness teams are all done playing to let all the dominoes start falling. One position gets filled by somebody who then opens up another position that opens up another position, possibly in the NBA. So a lot of the uh, domino theories are going around right now, too, as far as what might happen. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, the 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 big talk here in Phoenix is that Steve Alford will probably go to Indiana because they haven't hired anybody yet. They fired Tom Crean. They love Alford. And and it's been a really weird relationship. And it's weird to say that people don't like Alford in UCLA because they, they kind of do. But he's not one of their guys, you know, yeah, and in college right. sports, you just want your guy, you yeah. know. And so even though Alford's got him, you know, on the precipice of being a lead a team, maybe a final four team. They wouldn't be that upset if he left, and Indiana would love to have him. So that might happen. That opens up the UCLA job. And the Phoenix Suns head coach right now, Earl Watson, they're writing articles about it. Um, he's one of the leading candidates because he's a UCLA guy. I can't remember if he played for Wooden or Hazard, but he knows all those guys. They like him. He would bring back all those ex-players that Alfred really kind of didn't. Well, that would leave the Suns job open. Now, there's obviously a lot of uh, bad blood, I guess you'd say, or different things you know, between – Robert Sarver, the owner, and when when he fired Alvin Gentry and then didn't let you know Dan Marley or anybody else come in as the coach, so they'd have to get over some of that stuff. But I mean, we saw Dan Gilbert write an article saying LeBron James was the worst human being in the world, and then four years later gave him a billion dollars. You now know, so, yeah, I mean, hug. yeah, <laughs> so anything's possible. So so I think Dan Bickley actually, one of the top columnists here, just actually wrote that article, and the only guy he mentioned going to the Suns to take that was Dan Marley, um, and and you know that would probably something too good to pass up but Dan Marley what I've noticed is he's very focused on what he can't control and what he's got in front of him at the moment so I if he says he's not even thinking about that then I trust that he's not even really thinking about that other people might be we might be talking about it but he's worried right now about getting good recruits 
so that he can win the WAC next year and he can take the Lopes to their first ever NCAA March Madness. I hope that's, that's what, what he's happens. Focused. That's what I hope happens. So yeah, he's one of those coaches that he has. He's won 49 games in two years with a Grand Canyon University program that's been in transition. So to do that has been yeah. quite amazing and played some really really good talent, which you and I have talked about. Hey, you mentioned the Cleveland Cavaliers, so I thought we could uh, just delve into this. They've been sitting LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and uh, Kevin Love, and sitting them out and not playing them. So there's been a real brouhaha between the NBA you know, commissioner and the teams now sitting their best players and not getting out there to play. I thought there was a really kind of interesting comment by Tom Brady. He was asked about whether or not he would like to sit out or uh, let other people play so he could save himself for the playoffs. And Tom Brady had a really interesting quote where he said, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't want to see anyone else on the field showing people, management, fans, that they can do my job better than me. No, I want to play every quarter, every minute. I don't ever want to be taken out of a game, which I think is the mentality of a true, true champion, a guy who wants to be at the top of his game and be playing all the time. This isn't something we haven't heard from other players, too. Harvey Catchings was a uh, center for the uh, 76ers. We've had him here on Docs and Jocks, and he said, hey, back in the day, there was no guaranteed money. If I got injured and the guy on the end of the bench came in, and they saw him play better than me, I was gone. I wasn't going to be making a paycheck. So I wanted that guy sitting on the end of the bench in the fourth quarter with a 20-point lead. I wanted him sitting on the end of the bench the entire game. No, I didn't want him coming in. So there's been that type of mentality in the NBA previously. We see this now with Tom Brady in the NFL. I just think uh, it's it's – I know it's a long season in the NBA, but people pay their money to come see the stars. People, uh, you sign up a big contract. You don't sign up for three quarters of the season. You sign up for an entire season. It just seems like there ought to be some obligation to play at some level as opposed to sitting out entire games, especially when you sit all your stars and these people pay their full price to come see you play. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't know how the NBA uh, stops that from happening. I mean, I think if they did away with back-to-back games, that would be one way to do it. I, I do think back-to-back games in the NBA, and not, they don't play a ton of them, but they do have a few of them. I think that's kind of dumb. I think the NBA should reschedule that. But, yeah, it's a long season, and it's a grind. But, man, you're flying charter. You're eating at the nicest restaurants. You're sleeping at the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, is it really that bad of a life? I mean, yeah. you get the best treatment in the world, and that – it, it's that mentality, man, and it's it's harder for older guys like me and you to understand because we're of that same ilk. We're, yeah. we're the age of like a Dan Marley and a Scott Williams who you brought up. I asked Scott Williams that once. I said, hey, did you ever take time off of games or take times off in practice? He said, man, I played on a non-guaranteed contract five years in a row. I wasn't good enough to take anything off because I was, I was fighting for everything. It might have been the last minute of a two-hour practice. I was going toe-to-toe, man, because yeah. I couldn't take time off. And now you almost got this entitled, like, well, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm LeBron, you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit. Yeah, exactly. can't do anything. Yeah, it's, it's a bizarre world we live in right now with regards to players saying they need rest and be taken out and can, can kind of demand it. And just the coaches and commissioners and everybody has to kind of follow it because it's LeBron James. He is the NBA. Let's face it, he is the NBA. We just didn't hear this kind of talk from uh, MJ back in the day. I don't remember MJ saying I need to be out. Yeah, and I think, I think if you're, you know, I think and now if you're a dad. And it's gonna, and your kid wants to go see, you know, Steph Curry, or wants to go see LeBron, or wants to go see one of these stars. You got to think long and hard about shelling out a couple hundred bucks least, to go down yeah. there, and yeah. the guy might not play. Might not play at all. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Unless you're in the playoffs I, games I or uh, opening game. Yeah, I'd personally be like, hey, kid, you're gonna watch him on NBA TV. That's that's the best place to see him. You're not gonna see him in person. And I think when the fans start doing that, like every time LeBron goes somewhere, they sell out. What yeah. if next year when LeBron or when you know San Antonio does it a lot, what if when they go on the road and those games don't sell out? Mm-hmm. Then I think the owners are going to go, whoa, 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 time out, you know? 
Yeah. You're not going to play him. I think the owners, I don't think the NBA can do anything about it, but I think the, some of the owners need to stand up and say, hey, this is BS. We're not doing this anymore. You yeah. guys got to play unless you're injured. And if you, you know, you got to play. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting, too, on the Tom Brady comments I said uh, where he didn't want to ever leave a game in a minute or a second when uh, another guy could come in and take his position. The other thing that Tom Brady really gives his longevity to uh, playing, it's not because he's taking games off, but because he's really big into nutrition and this diet he's been on. And so now he's come out with his own Tom Brady uh, diet line or food line, I should say, nutrition line, where he you can basically buy prepared meals that are the Tom Brady-style nutrition that he uh, – subscribes to but i think you know we've had a lot of new great nutritionists by the way we're gonna have jill lane coming to our our uh, d1 abilene uh, studio here where we do our show out of and she's gonna become one of the best nutritionists i've ever dealt with jill lane.com l-a-n-e jill lane.com but i think nutrition is a huge part of what we do and how our longevity and fairness i know you're a big advocate for nutrition and eating the proper way but tom brady's really bought into this and now he's trying to make it uh, basically a business where he opens it up to the public and says here's the type of food you want to eat if you're a champion you know i, I mean they've got to go they've got to go with the logo right they've got to go with the logo of I mean, they have to go with let tom brady deflate your stomach right that's got to be the logo Tom Brady uh, deflate your stomach, but yeah, he's really, really big into nutrition. I think, I think with all athletes that you really have to take your nutrition seriously. But it's good to see now these professional athletes sharing with others how how they do it. I mean, I know they have a lot more access to, like you said, top flight chefs, those types of people. But you can do it on your own if you if you really, really try. You can try and figure it out. Right. Yeah, Brady is one of those guys too. I mean, I would be very interested to see how he eats and what his diet is yeah. because. They say that he's uh, just relentless about it, you know, like even when he's out at really nice, you know, restaurants and things like that within parties, he's very careful about what he eats and he, and he never wavers from it. And, you know, like you said, he wants to play till he's like 50. I mean, he, and he just won a Super Bowl. He looks like he's fine. So, yeah, you know, he says if he stays healthy. His wife wants him to quit, but he's like, nope, I'm going to keep playing. That's right. So. Hey, speaking of relentless and a guy that wants to keep playing, J.J. Watt just came out a video on him uh, this week. You know, he's just had back surgery. He had a microdiscectomy, a revision microdiscectomy, which means they went and trimmed the disc off again. So a disc herniates, which is a disc is like a jelly donut, gooey center, tough outer rings. Some of the jelly of the jelly donut leaks out a tear in those outer rings. And then it pushes on a nerve back behind there. They trim that off. Well, he had it happen again, which is not that uncommon. And uh, it was just a video was just shown of him doing that exact same thing again where he has uh, had to go through that surgery, and now he's back out doing his uh, rehabilitation and his workout. And so it's good to see J.J. Watt back out doing his uh, thing again. Yeah, that's a guy that he's interesting to me. He's such a phenomenal athlete, and he's, he's so good. But when he was injured, Houston had the best defense in, in, in football without him. So he's an interesting guy to me to decide, hey, do you do you pay that guy all that kind of money or do you not? Because you're just as good without him almost, which is yeah. odd to say, yeah, that is. as you are with him. Yeah, very, very weird. The one thing I would say about J.J. Watt's rehabilitation program, looking at him, is he was, uh, you know, and this is part of being a defensive end, everything he was doing was bending over at his waist. And so the danger of mm. that is you can re have a recurrent, recurrent disc herniation when you do heavy bending at your waist. So once again, there's, there's no way to completely stabilize the disc. Once you trim the edge of it off, the part that pooched out, the tear is still there where the, the disc material leaked out. So when I saw him doing, he was doing a bunch of cone drills, Ferris, where he was running, touching his toes, running, touching a cone, you know, bending over at his waist. 
I don't know, man. He's a big dude doing that over and over again. And that's why I said when at the beginning of the season when they said he was back and healed, I said, but he's going to be doing a defensive end position where you're constantly been over, constantly yeah. trying to go around, constantly at a at a forced turned angle. So I hope J.J. Watt is back and he's able to make it through the season. But, man, it's going to be a little tricky with him uh, trying to do what he's trying to do. It may be the toughest position in football to play. Maybe running back would be worse to play with a disc herniation that's happened twice. So, Yeah, it's – I don't know, man. Like I said, I, that that's why I, I think some of these NFL GMs, when they pay these massive contracts to some of these players that aren't quarterbacks or linemen, to me, I would I would always start with my offensive and defensive line, and and oddly enough, those guys would be where I'd spend my money, and I'd maybe overpay for those, and get a quarterback, you know, that can that can stand back there and throw. I mean, we've seen quarterbacks stink at other places and be really good, like we saw Matt Castle, not good since he left the Patriots. But when he's with the Patriots, he won 11 games. You yeah. know, we see quarterbacks do really well when they're with a good uh, offensive line. And yeah. so I, I would spend my money there. I wouldn't spend my money on a defensive end or on, although he is a defensive line. I don't know, man. I'd, it's, that was a tough one for me because I, I don't know how that guy stays healthy the way he plays. I don't yeah. know how he's going to stay healthy all year. I know. Speaking of not staying healthy, uh, poor, poor uh, Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid, the uh, 76ers center. Remember, he's the, the guy, the uh, number one pick out of Kansas uh, two years ago. Yeah. He is now out for the season. He tore his meniscus, which is requiring a meniscectomy, where they go in with a uh, arthroscope, which is a small camera, which has a you make a small portal also for a small tool that can kind of uh, bite out the uh, meniscus tear, tear it, take it out. And then they also feel have a portal that puts water into the knee that opens it up so you can see it. So he is now going to be out uh, for the rest of the season. The 76ers aren't going to make the playoffs anyway. His first two seasons, he missed completely due to a Jones fracture, which is a fracture on the outside of his foot. So Joel Embiid misses his first two seasons due to a foot injury. He now misses the uh, last half of his uh, third season due to a uh, meniscectomy uh, being done on his knee for a torn meniscus. Man. But the 31 games he played in this year, he's pretty good. 20.7 rebounds. There's potential there for sure. But, man, can you ever get the guy healthy enough to play? Now, he might be one of those big guys who just yeah. never has a, a long career, but you always look back and go, man, what if, what if, what could have been? Right. And then you got guys like Dwayne Wade who had a great career and played for a long time, but now he's uh, going to be out for not only the season, but for the playoffs due to a small fracture in his elbow. It was announced this week that not only is he out for the season, but if the Bulls make the playoffs, he's also out for the playoffs. So uh, poor Dwayne Wade, uh, after uh, having coming over from the Bulls, he's had a rough season this year for sure. Hey, I want to say thank you to all our great listeners here on Docs and Jocks. Man, I want to say thank you not only to you guys for being the, the best audience uh, ever, but uh, we also want to say thank you for making our iTunes podcast at Docs and Jocks, one of the fastest-growing uh, iTunes podcasts on the uh, radio. So thank you so much for doing that. I want to say thank you to all our wonderful guests, including Ken Lane, the world's strongest man, uh, the uh, greatest bench presser in the world, as well as visual ed specialist uh, Barry Seiler, as well as the uh, head uh, Grand Canyon University basketball coach and former NBA All-Star Dan Marley. From myself, Dr. Dan, we want to say uh, thank you so much for listening. And from my uh, co-host, Ferris Potter, hey, we'll see you next week on your Sports Medicine Radio Show, Docs and Jocks.